Welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a weekly look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up, we'll have a look at this week's Louisiana Ag News headlines. We'll check out the latest happenings at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. in our grassroots government segment. We'll hear from one of you as we take you to the fields and pastures of the Bayou State and find out the latest in crop and cattle conditions. And we'll look inside the markets with commentary from experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. All of this and more coming up on this week's podcast. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 18 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Martin. Coming up on this week's podcast, we kick it off with the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. And those headlines are dominated by the weather. That seems to be a common theme throughout this summer. It has been very wet across Louisiana, and all that rain is causing a lot of problems here at harvest season. We'll follow that up with Grassroots Government, where we check in with Joe Mapes. He's a lobbyist for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, and Marty Wooldridge. Marty's a cattle producer from Caddo Parish. They met with the Department of Revenue earlier this week to talk about sales taxes on agricultural inputs. There's a new law about to go into effect in Louisiana that defines what is a commercial farmer in this state. And that definition will determine if you qualify for sales tax exemptions on agricultural inputs. We'll visit more with Joe and Marty about that situation coming up in Grassroots Government. We go in the field to Point Capi Parish this week where we talk to George LaCour. George is a diversified farmer in Point Capi Parish. George also served the past year as president of the Cotton Board. So we'll visit with George about harvest conditions on his farm and the past year that he spent dealing with cotton issues across the country. Of course, our regular market analysts are standing by. Greg Fox will talk about the grain markets. Dave Foster will check in with the cattle markets. Then we wrap it all up with a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar. All of that's coming up on Episode 18 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. And it all kicks off right now. Here's a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Louisiana soybean farmers are working to finish up this year's harvest, but constant rain showers are causing some farmers problems in getting the beans out of the field. Evangeline Parish soybean farmer Scott Fontenot. They didn't have a whole lot of rain on them. The ground's firm enough. The little morning showers every day keep them soft all day long. Soybeans, the pods are kind of soft in the morning. They're always soft, but by noon they should be, be hard. But then when you, can, when you can smash them with your finger, they're still kind of soft to cut. And these are going to be going straight in our bins. We can dry them a little bit more if they are kind of high moisture. We're going to be putting them in our bins just to get them out of the field. Fontenot says the rain is causing some damage to his crop. Once they get dry, they usually stop taking up moisture from the ground once you spray them. But once the pods are hoard, then they'll start cracking. And then that's when they'll take in moisture and uh, 
That's what's the, when the damage will start. Damaged soybeans are becoming more of a problem with each passing day of rain. We'll talk more about the problems that's causing in marketing those soybeans with Greg Fox later in our marketing segment of the podcast. The rain is also causing problems with the Louisiana cotton crop. For much of this summer, we've been expecting a very big crop, but that may not be the case now. Don Molino has more. LSU Ag Center Extension Service Cotton Specialist, Dr. Dan Fromme at the Deanley Research Station, says right now the Louisiana cotton crop is questionable because of the weather. I guess the easiest way to explain it right now, we're in a holding pattern uh, due to the rain. It's shut down harvest. Uh, harvest was just getting underway uh, last week, and then uh, we began to get rain. So uh, with that said, we know we have a lot of cotton that, that has been defoliated and uh, with the leaves off, uh, you know, we're just keeping our fingers crossed that, uh, you know, the rain will end here soon. And uh, we just uh, hope and pray that it does. You know, with the rainfall hitting the cotton, uh, time to harvest, you know, we bubbles, of course, absorb the water and we can lose a lot of the cotton to the ground. And, of course, some uh, fiber quality discounts as well. So, uh, you know, at this time, I would say... Uh, we're pretty well shut down across the state as far as harvest is concerned. Uh, still continue to have a good crop in, in parts of Louisiana. Uh, a lot of farmers are still optimistic, and, and they were optimistic before uh, before harvest, looking at uh, how white the fields were, you know, across parts of the state. And other areas, of course, are not as optimistic simply because uh, portions of the state were a lot drier and so forth. So uh, the name of the game is right now, if you're a cotton farmer, and support the cotton industry is, uh, you know, pray pray for this rain to uh, end here very, very shortly. But before the rain set, things were looking pretty good, weren't they? Yeah, everything was really looking outstanding, you know, before the rain uh, rain hit. Uh, you know, we looked like we had a, a uh, off to an early harvest this year. You know, we had a very, very warm summer, very uh, compact uh Fruited, fruited, fruiting plant. Uh, we didn't have many gaps, so uh, you know everything was maturing relatively very quickly. You know across across fields and didn't have to wait on uh, you know a lot younger bowls up top. And so yeah, we were very optimistic here, hoping to get out of the field uh, you know very quickly here uh, here in the fall. And of course, a lot of farmers. Uh, reporting that re- yield results were going to be very favorable. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Louisiana rice farmers are wrapping up what has become a very wet rice harvest season. Donald Birkin grows rice in Jeff Davis Parish, and he says all the rain during harvest was a bit frustrating. Well, it is a bit frustrating. Yeah, you want to get the rice out on a timely basis to make sure that your uh, the grain quality holds up, your milling holds up, and that sort of thing, and the fields don't get wet. But uh, that's just the weather the way it is. That's uh, one of the things you have to deal with when farming. And Birkin says all of the trade turmoil has affected Louisiana's rice industry. We've got some issues with uh, being able to sell to other uh, countries simply because of the tariffs that are being imposed. And that, that could be an issue. So I don't I don't think that's going to bring the price of rice up. It, if anything, it could bring the price of rice down. Jeff Davis, rice producer, Donald Birkin. 
Well, since our last podcast, USDA has released its latest Louisiana crop production numbers. Here's how some of the estimates came out. Louisiana corn for grain production forecasted 71.4 million bushels. That's down 2% from the August forecast and down 21% from last year. Upland cotton production forecasted 420,000 bales. That's up 30,000 from the August number and up 16,000 from last year. All rice production for Louisiana for Forecast at 30.4 million hundredweight. That's up 9% from the August forecast and up 15% from last year. Soybean production is forecast at 68.5 million bushels. That's unchanged from the August forecast, but it's up 1% compared to last year. And finally, sugarcane production forecast at 14.5 million net tons. That's down 2% from a year ago. The WOTUS rule is once again on hold in Louisiana. A Texas court issued an injunction last week against the 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule after the Texas Attorney General's office told the court it was ready to appeal to a higher court. The U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas in Galveston granted a request for a temporary injunction of the rule in Texas, Mississippi, and here in Louisiana. However, the rule is still in effect in 23 other states. Nominations for the Louisiana Agriculture Hall of Distinction are now being accepted. The hall is accepting nominations for its induction ceremony, which will be held March 7th of 2019 at the LaBerge Hotel in Baton Rouge. The nomination form can be obtained online at LouisianaAgricultureHallOfDistinction.com or through any parish LSU Ag Center Extension office. It's a very tragic farm accident during National Farm Safety Week. A farm worker near New Roads was killed last week when he fell into a grain bin. Louisiana Farm Bureau Safety Director Wendell Miley says grain bins can be a deadly place on the farm. Suffocation can occur when a worker enters a grain bin and is engulfed by grain or when bins do not have sufficient oxygen. A worker can be engulfed and suffocated if standing on moving or flowing grain and the moving grain acts like quicksand burying the worker in seconds. Engulfment may also occur when walking across the surface of crusted grain and a collapse occurs and engulfs the worker. Miley says the Louisiana Farm Bureau has held grain bin safety and rescue workshops around the state for the last five years and they're planning more workshops in the coming months. If you've lived in Louisiana long enough, you've heard that Washington Parish watermelons are the best in the state. Don Molino reports that most folks would agree with that statement. Growers in Washington Parish usually produce an amazing crop of watermelons, depending on the weather, of course. But the story doesn't stop there. Lots of folks make it possible for us city folk to have access to those delicious vegetables. That's correct, watermelons are considered to be a vegetable. One of the middlemen between growers and consumers is a young fellow who goes by the name Watermelon Sam. He loads up very, very early most mornings during the growing season driving from Prairieville to Washington Parish, then back to Ascension Parish with a pickup load of Washington Parish watermelons. I caught up with him at his place of business along Airline Highway, where he's been selling watermelons for some 30 to 40 years. But he points out he has no input on which watermelons he'll get from the grower. The farmer picks the melon out the field. He has the indications. He knows the code, you know, to read the vine. Yeah. So once he picked the melon, we loaded, put it on the truck, you know, it's nothing that the consumer can do to enhance whether they come with brum straws, they press them, you know, they do this, that, and the other, but 
I don't worry. It, so, in other words, the Washington Parish watermelon is going to be good. No, not really. Just it's Mother Nature. It's just like you living. You take an uh, umbrella to work in the morning when you see it's cloudy. I mean, hey, you got to go with the weather. And uh, so the plants got to go with the weather. You get a good season, you get a bad season. So I wouldn't specifically say, you know, they are always on cue. So if you're ever driving south on Airline Highway near Gonzales during the watermelon season, and you see a pickup full of watermelons with a Washington Parish watermelon sign, guaranteed by the Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry, pull over and buy a melon or two from Allen West, Watermelon Sam. You won't be disappointed. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. That is a look at some of the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. And don't forget, you can always check out the latest news and happenings in Louisiana agriculture on our website. It's voiceoflaag.org. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. There's a button right there on the website. You can click it. Put in your information, and then we'll send the latest news in Louisiana agriculture right to your inbox at 5 a.m. each weekday morning. It's our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. So subscribe right there on our website and stay up to date with everything that's going on in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up next, it's time for Grassroots Government. We'll check in with Joe Mapes. He's a lobbyist for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. That's next on The Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Farm Bureau has been working for Louisiana's farmers and ranchers since 1922, and that work continues today. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. Farm Bureau knows you're busy running your operation, so while you're at work on your farm or ranch, Farm Bureau is watching out for your interests, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. It's time for a look inside the halls of government in this week's edition of Grassroots Government on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. On Grassroots Government this week, we check in with Joe Mates. Joe is a lobbyist for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. And Joe, I understand you also have a guest with you today. Good morning, Carrie. It's true, I do. I have Mr. Marty Woolrich with me in town in Baton Rouge. And we just attended a meeting with the Department of Revenue. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Gary, for doing this. Hey, no problem, Marty. Joe, uh, tell me about this meeting that you guys had with the Department of Revenue. What was the meeting about and uh, what came out of the meeting today? Well, Gary, Senator Jim Fannin passed a piece of legislation this past legislative session that is going to define the commercial farmer. Now, that created the authority for the Department of Revenue to actually create that definition. Uh, we've been working with Marty and I and Amelia Kent and Jim Monroe and Sandy and others. We've been working with the Department of Revenue in an attempt to make sure this definition is inclusive, Carrie, so that it doesn't exclude this ever-changing uh, list of uh, 
you know, inputs that are out there that affect agriculture, right, Marty? Yeah, definitely, Joe. Uh, as everyone knows, you know, especially on the livestock side, and that's what I'm representing today as the chairman of our livestock committee, we have so many different things that we have to have on a daily basis to keep cattle in the fence, to provide feed to them, to monitor everything. So uh, we're very concerned that something's going to get left out and we're paying tax on something. And what happens then, especially like in an area where I'm from and in our state, our whole state is not that big. You can drive across our state on any given day, which means that you can cross the state line and buy it out of state. And what that does is, yes, our producer gets to buy it with no tax on it, but it hurts our local supply store. And just like as we struggle to keep our farmers in business in this state, it would be harder on the farmer if business goes out of state and we lose the supply store. Because if I don't have that supply store, it's tough for me to get those products locally that I need to uh, maintain my livestock operation. That's an excellent point, Marty. And I think it's a point that gets lost in these discussions too much. Uh, we focus on the mechanics of the of the uh, the process itself, and we don't and we don't talk about the people and the effect it would have on the community long term. Amelia, you know Amelia Kenton testimony today. She made the uh, made the remark that I believe every dollar spent in the local economy uh, changes hands about eight times. It touches, you know, eight different people can touch that dollar. So, uh, you know, a great thing. Now, we might not be paying tax on certain items, but we're keeping that store on that's keeping those people employed in our local community. Well, I know this has been a long-term issue. Uh, Joe, you and I have been dealing with this issue, I mean, literally for, for 10, 15 years. Uh, when I was a Farm that's Bureau right. field rep, we would, you and I would talk about what was exempt uh, as far as farm supplies go, farm inputs, and, and it seems like this has always been a moving target. There's never been a real specific list or definition of what is exempt from taxes and what is not with the Department of Revenue. Did you make any progress, uh, either one of you guys, do you feel like you made any progress with the Department of Revenue today as far as is maybe narrowing down or focusing in uh, on this issue and getting some kind of answers from them? Well, Kerry, let me say this. Definitely after today with uh, Joe and Amelia and myself sitting at the table and talking about these issues, we are on record. They know that we see the system as being too complicated and that it needs to be cleaned up. But they know that we're here as Farm Bureau, that we want to help this. We want to see this uh, changed for our state, for our industry, uh, for all the producers. So um, yes and no on that subject. Uh, we feel like that under some terminology with a, a broad stroke of what equipment is, that we're going to get some good exemptions, but there's still some very uh, major items that are being left off the list at this point. That's right. And Carrie, you said that you and I have been working on discussing in this issue for a decade or more, and it's true. It's also true what you said, that it's a moving target. The third thing I wanted to add to that is, the legislature is refining that target. They are refining that definition and making it up as we go along. And I told this to the Secretary of Revenue this past Friday. What concerns me about that is statements that are made by chairman over there in that Capitol that, hey, we're going to amend this bill and it doesn't hurt ag because it keeps the, the big ones intact, feed, seed and fertilizer. And that's all they need. And I, and I told and she said, well, that's probably not what they meant. I said, tell you what, that's the talk that's starting to occur around there, Kerry, and we can't allow that to happen. The list is extremely long as well, you know. 
But Joe, I ran across a letter just the other day uh, in, in some archive things that I had on my computer, a letter where you and I had worked with the Department of Revenue with a, a cattle producer up in Red River Parish, Jason Anderson. And Jason right. was trying to get tax exemptions on the the materials to build a cover over his livestock scales. And the Department of Revenue at first denied it. You and I worked, and we actually got him the uh, sales tax exemption for those materials to cover his livestock scales. And we shouldn't have had to go through that to do that. Absolutely. Right. It was a long, drawn-out fight, uh, and, and I actually ha- felt like I was half a lawyer, you know, writing <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing letters, you know, trying to get this exemption for him. But it, it is just a very complicated issue, and hopefully we're making some progress toward getting it straight. That, that's a great example, Kerry, because we were just discussing a few other things that I've done personally very recently buying some generators and what have you for the farm for our our uh, packaged uh, state inspected meat business that we're now doing off the farm and it is so the laws have been so confusing and the lack of the list and leaving it open for interpretation what i'm really seeing and what other producers are seeing is that they're being denied tax exemptions because the suppliers are scared to death to give it to them because nobody really knows what is and what isn't tax exempt. Absolutely. When Marty, as you know, when I was in the cattle business along with you, I would fight constantly with my local supply store saying, hey, this should be exempt. And they would agree with me. Yes, it should. But I don't want the Department of Revenue to come back on me and make me pay that tax later because there is no clarity whatsoever in the law. Well, that's right. Well, the main thing we've got to do and what we're always doing at Farm Bureau is always, I'm often quoted or often say, we're here as Farm Bureau to watch the producers back while they're out working hard and sweating in the fields. And that's what we're doing today by being in Baton Rouge, meeting with the Department of Revenue and trying to clear up this problem before the new law is enacted January 1st. And before it hits back home and nobody knows that it's even a new law, Carrie. Farm Bureau is a great uh, networking organization and we will disseminate any new law information that applies to farmers and ranchers, we will disseminate it widely and aggressively. You know that you're in that business. Uh, But if the law is not clear, and that's all we went today to ask is for clarity in this law, Terry, so that we can uh, clear up this confusion that's out there, but with the dealers and with the farmers. Joe Mapes, he's a lobbyist for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Marty Wooldridge is a cattle producer from Caddo Parish. Guys, thanks so much for your time today with the Department of Revenue on behalf of Louisiana farmers, and thanks for your time here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Kerry. Coming up next, it's time to talk with one of you. We'll visit with George LaCour. He's a farmer in Point Capee Parish. He'll give us an update on how his fall harvest is going as we go in the field next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. I grew up in Louisiana farm country, and I know all the hard work and sacrifice that you put into raising livestock, growing a crop, raising a family, and running a farm. 
Farm Bureau puts that same hard work and sacrifice into making life better for you and your family, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Taking you to the fields of Louisiana as we hear from one of you in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We go in the field this week to talk with George LaCour. George is a farmer in Point Capi Parish. George, how are things going out your way today? Well, Gary, overcast, cloudy, and wet, and we're about on the fourth day of grinding, and the mud is a little sticky. And I know that rain is causing problems for a lot of folks, George. Let's get this thing started by telling people about your farm. How many crops do you grow, and what acreage in each crop? Well, Gary, we grow about 3,000 acres of cane, and we grow about 1,000 acres of corn, and about 800 acres of cotton, and 3,500 acres of soybeans, and 200 acres of crawfish. And we do double crop a little wheat. We did have a great wheat crop this past year. First good wheat crop we've had in about four years. Well, let's start talking about that, if you will. I know that wheat has almost become an endangered species here in Louisiana. Very little of it grown. However, the little bit that we did have grown this year, as you mentioned, was a really good crop. Do you feel like uh, this is going to encourage uh, you and others to grow more wheat in the future? I think it will. You know, we just had... Several bad years back to back, and think farmers had lost their faith in growing wheat. And I used to grow a thousand acres of wheat, and I grew two hundred acres on fallow cane ground, and we were successful. But we had a cold winter last winter, Gary, which is a key to having a good wheat yield. So I think it all fell hand in hand. Well, let's move to the corn crop, George. I know that corn definitely was not a bin buster for most folks this year in Louisiana. It seemed like everyone had about an average crop. How did things look on your farm? I think uh, your statement is just about represents my farm. I think it represents the state. We had a, a good average crop. Wasn't as good as it was in 2017 or 16. Prices continue, continue to decline. But, you know, fertilizer inputs were down this year. I was a little disappointed in the corn crop until I got caught up in the current situation of trying to, to deliver soybeans with the damage limit situation. And we've, we've delivered about two-thirds of our crop, uh, got about a third left. That third was really behind the levee. We chased the river down, so it was late. But... Um, Man, I mean, the damage situation as of today, I was informed today that the last elevator I was delivering to is now taking only contracted soybeans. So if you didn't have a contract with them, they weren't going to take your beans. Uh, three weeks ago, we were fussing about the basis. The basis is terrible. The price is terrible. But now we're facing, on the 1st of October, not even having a place to deliver these beans that don't have a lot of damage. I got turned down at Dreyfus for a 5.3 damage load, you know, which, you know, 
good beans, but nobody wants them because the Delta is full of mildly damaged beans, and they're waiting on some good number ones and number twos. Bad situation. Yeah, I'm hearing that from more than one place around Louisiana, Georgia. This rain is just is really causing a lot of problems, and now there's just nowhere to go with these damaged soybeans. It is definitely a tough situation. You mentioned earlier that you're getting uh, started on sugarcane grinding, and I can only guess that, you know, not really an ideal situation to start in with wet, muddy fields. Well, it's never a good situation to start in the mud, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think the crop's going to be a good crop. I don't think it'll be as good a crop. At least my crop won't be as good as last year. But, uh, you know, overall, we we just hope for a safe harvest and a dry harvest. Started in the mud, but we could finish in the dry. How about cane planting this year, George? Did all of your cane go in the ground okay? Any problems there? Gary, we were blessed. We finished planting a week ago today on Friday at 2 p.m., and the bottom fell out at 4 p.m., and it was a wrap. But I have neighbors that are not finished. It has been a situation that uh, it was a fight from day one. Uh, I told somebody that we're going to have to change the tires on the planter's aids because we moved and moved all around to try to keep planting, uh, maybe a half a day here and a half a day there. But we continued, and thank God we got finished. How about your cotton crop, George? I know cotton uh, does not like wet weather during harvest season either. What kind of situation are you in there? Well, we were picking cotton until this past Saturday, and the bottom fell out. Now I've had about four and a half inches on this crop, which is ready to harvest. We picked 150 acres and uh, so far, and we've gotten a little over 320 bales. So we were, we we think the crop's a good crop. We just need to, need a break in the weather so we can take this crop out. My friends around the state echo the same sentiments. They think this is a good cotton crop. Uh, I mean, Gary, the 16 crop and the 17 crop got killed with just humongous amounts of August rains. So we were hoping the 18 crop would uh, give us a break. Well, hey, George, we're talking about cotton, and I want to switch gears and ask you about something. You have been very involved in the cotton industry on the national level. Over the past year, you have served as president of the Cotton Board. Tell me about what you've experienced as president of the Cotton Board over the last year. Great experience to represent the cotton growers in the United States as chairman of the cotton board, to visit with the importers, the people that buy our cotton, the mills. Uh, was able to go to China, meet with uh, mills that buy our cotton. They like our cotton. Uh, we have some of the best quality cotton in the world. Uh, to listen to them stress the importance of contamination issues that they have today their concerns, uh, and, and what we can do to work towards improving contamination, to see the demand for cotton growing worldwide today after uh, years of uh, depressed 
consumption and prices is amazing. You know, you, you've seen the price of cotton rally 25%. That's a real deal. Demand is out there. The, the checkoff program has worked, is working. To, to bring on this demand, uh, sustainability is a big part. I mean, if you buy a polyester T-shirt and you leave it in the yard, a year later, it's still there. Cotton, two months later, it's thrown away. You know, we grow a sustainable commodity today that the U.S. consumer wants. I don't know. Maybe I need to get off my stump for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. You know, I'm, I'm glad that there are farmers out there like yourself who are willing to put in the time away from the farm, volunteer time away from the farm to contribute to your industry. I mean, you, you make the industry better and improve it for all farmers. And I, I really appreciate that, that you've got a passion for it and that you're willing to put the time into it. Uh, it's, it's a great thing that there are guys out there like you willing to do that. Well, thank you very much, Gary. I appreciate the compliment, but it takes all of us. And there were plenty of people before me, and there will be plenty of people behind me. Farmers are passionate about what they do. That's why we live this industry. Well, George, you and I ran into each other last weekend at the LSU football game, and you were on me about when are we going to get another podcast out. So I really appreciate you being a faithful listener and tuning in each week. Thanks a lot. I really like your show, man. I mean, look, I love podcasts. Because I can drive and listen, and, and I, I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> well, George LaCour, Point Capi Parish, thank you so much for the update. And, and George, uh, praying for a break in this rain for you so you guys can get things wrapped up and without many more problems from this rain. Thank you, Gary. You have a great day. Coming up next, it's time to check out the markets. Greg Fox and Dave Foster are standing by with their insight on the grain and cattle markets. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana farmers and ranchers dedicate their lives to producing the food we eat and the clothes we wear. Agriculture touches all of us every time we sit down at the table. So support Louisiana agriculture by joining Farm Bureau. And you don't have to be a farmer to join. If you're already a member, we thank you. Your membership supports farmers and ranchers right here in your local community. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now let's look at the markets with insight from the experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. And we'll get started by talking with Greg Fox. He's a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Greg, let's start by talking about the soybean market. What have you seen in that market this week so far? Yeah, the, the markets have been pretty solid. Uh, we're seeing some some downtrend here as we speak, but uh, overall, it's been pretty supportive. Some of the news, you know, that we're actually cheaper than Brazil now when you add in the tariffs. So on paper, China could actually buy from us. 
Um, but most traders don't believe that's going to actually happen. But just the thought of it, you know, kind of helps support our markets a little bit. And we saw some export interest from Argentina and then uh, Mexico bought some beans as well. So, you know, that kind of helps supports our markets a little bit. And, you know, we saw us get up into the 850 range. Uh, so, you know, decent news there. But um, overall, it doesn't really help the Louisiana farmer because of the quality issues that we're seeing. I know that rain uh, is causing some problems out there with a lot of folks trying to get beans out of the field. What are you hearing out in the field right now in Louisiana? Uh, nothing. Combines are quiet. It is um, a tough situation. You know, we're staring at 5 to 15% damaged soybeans that can't find a home. Uh, the facilities are pretty much filling up and really can't handle the damage anymore, even though it's moderate damage. They don't have the boats coming in. Is fast as what we've seen in years past because China, the China business is not there and we're not seeing the quality barges come down the river that we've seen in the past. Greg, when we look at the corn market, we've actually seen the corn market uh, climb over the last couple of weeks, which is a little unusual here uh, as we head into Midwest harvest. I know we're down today, but uh, overall we've seen some strength in the corn market. Talk about the corn market right now. Some solid exports on the corn side has kind of helped that market stay stay firm a little bit more than the others. And there were some questions about acres and planted acres. Um, so that was kind of... Uh, you know, supportive to the corn market. But, you know, overall, it's still taking a beating when uh, beans take a beating. Uh, You see corn kind of react negative as well. And we've seen wheat fluctuate quite a bit. So when you see wheat kind of take off and trade real high, it supports the corn market a little bit too. And when you see the downside of that though is when you see wheat fall out, you see corn start to fall out with it. So, um, yeah, it's been tough for corn to get a footing, even though there seemed to be a little bit ray of hope. Greg Fox is a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Thanks a lot, Greg. I appreciate it. And now we'll move over to talk about the cattle markets with Dave Foster, CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. How are things going today, Dave? Everything's going good on my end. Well, Dave, it's been a couple of weeks since you and I have visited. Uh, what has gone on in the cattle market over the last couple of weeks that stands out to you? There's a couple things, Carrie, that, that I think are uh, certainly from two weeks ago. There's a situation where it looks like, only based on the receipts this week, but it looks like uh, I'm not going to say that our cattle numbers through the auction markets uh, for the fall run has peaked, but two weeks ago we had some big numbers, and uh, last week we had a substantial uh, volume more than the previous week. Uh, This week, the receipts were uh, a little lighter. We're still running uh, a good number of cattle and probably will continue uh, pretty long those lines for another, oh, two weeks maybe. And then I I foresee this run kind of moving down and getting lower into uh, that November area. And and again, uh, after Thanksgiving, then receipts just kind of dwindle down to nothing. And and then we wait till... uh, February or March for them to pick back up again. The other thing that really uh, jumped out at me was the cow market. Two weeks ago, uh, those better end of the killing cows were bringing in the mid-50s and a little higher than that. It took one heck of a good cow this week to bring $50 a hundred uh, to kill. 
and most of the boning type, if you will, uh, were somewhere in that whole oh, 42 or 3 to 47, something like that, with bulk, the bulk of those type of cows. So the cow market really, really took a hit this week. It's, uh, oh, I think it was probably Tuesday or Wednesday. They took $10 um, off the meat, and so that kind of figures out to about $5 a hundred lie. But anyway... Uh, so that had a big effect. Why is that, Dave? What's behind that drop in cow prices? Um, one of the things that, is, that has happened, certainly, is because of the drought early on in the summer, they've had a lot of cows. Uh, so they, they, were, they increased their, uh, their inventory. Uh, this time of year, especially for the southeast, uh, this is where all these cold cows, after the calves are pulled out and they go, go through them and uh, uh, sell uh, open cows. Uh, this this historically is a, is a big time for movement of cows. So all of those things contributed to uh, lower cow prices. What about the calf prices, Dave? Have you noticed anything in the calf market to talk about? As far as the calf market is concerned, the calf market continues to get better, and it gets better because, more importantly, uh, the wheat country area, they've, uh, they've planted wheat. They've got plenty of moisture. They planted wheat. The wheat's uh, just kind of coming up. And so they're excited about that. They're wanting to get some inventory. So they're, uh, they're moving into these, getting these lighter calves. These, certainly these calves uh, under 600 pounds, but more importantly, a lot of action on these three and four weight calves. They, uh, they're really, uh, they're really gathering them up, and there's a good demand for, for those kind of ca- uh, calves, uh, importantly. The other thing that I think for our listeners, Carrie, that's extremely important to remember is that a month, well, let's, let's just go back to uh, June. June and July, uh, our numbers were down because that's a time that we don't move a lot of cattle here, uh, really uh, too much cattle. And so the, the difference between the top-end calf and the kind of the bottom-end calf, that price spread was probably, oh, $10 a hundred maybe. Now, because we're, we're right in the middle of uh, our big calf runs, uh, we got a lot of good quality calves, so those plainer kind of calves, those calves that were discounted, and are being discounted on the market because of thin muscle, uh, too much bramer, whatever, whatever they want to say. Those calves were being discounted ten dollars a hundred in June, or discounted twenty or thirty dollars a hundred right now. So I'm getting calls to say, oh, "Gosh, oh my, my, my cattle, they didn't do that well." And that's the problem right there. Is that when when numbers are scarce. Uh, Buyers have got to get in and fill loads, and they'll they'll cheat a little bit. When there's plenty of supply, they get to be real, real choosy, and so uh, that's part of the problem with this price discrepancy. Market analyst Dave Foster, he is CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Thanks for checking in, Dave. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good one, Terry. What is coming up this week in Louisiana agriculture? Well, we'll find out. We'll check to see what's on the Louisiana Ag Calendar. That's coming up next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast.
This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Believe it or not, your food doesn't come from the grocery store. It just may have been grown on a farm right here in Louisiana. And those jeans you're wearing may have come from a Louisiana cotton farm. Louisiana's farmers and ranchers take pride in producing the food and fiber that we all use in our daily lives. So each time you sit down to a meal or get dressed for the day, thank a Louisiana farmer or rancher. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now to wrap up this week's podcast, let's take a look at what's coming up this week on the Louisiana Ag Calendar. We have two events on the Louisiana Ag Calendar this week. As we've mentioned in previous podcasts, it's fall, and that is Louisiana Ag in the Classroom workshop season. We have two Louisiana Ag in the Classroom teacher workshops coming up on the Ag Calendar this week. First is Tuesday, October the 2nd in Ruston, Louisiana. Then on Thursday, October the 4th in Shreveport. Now these are free workshops held for any teacher who wants to attend. And the purpose of these workshops is to teach teachers how to use agriculture to teach their existing curriculum. So if you're interested in either one of these workshops, Tuesday in Ruston or Thursday in Shreveport, go to AITCLA.org. Again, that's AITCLA.org, and you can get signed up for the Tuesday workshop in Ruston or the Thursday workshop in Shreveport. That is a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar for this week, and that puts the wraps on Episode 18 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. As always, I really appreciate everyone who tunes in and listens to our podcast each week, and we'll have another one right back here for you next Friday. Until then, be sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is Voice of LA Ag. Be sure to like our pages, and that way you can get the material that we send out each day. We post the latest news, information, and happenings, everything having to do with Louisiana agriculture on both of those social media accounts each weekday. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Join us again next week. This podcast is produced by Kerry Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.